Hello and welcome to Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. I'm your host Spencer, and with me is uh, you know this this movie is a whole lot. It's a stroll. I have no line or anything to to reference. Mm-hmm. All right. Hi. You don't you don't want to accuse me of being uh, is it because you can't define the characters in here you can at least call me a ghost of the past with a mystery that you have to solve or you know, yeah. i guess i called call, call you a cosmic twilight pimp something like that i just uh, before we actually even introduce the guest i i want to say that i really appreciated this very short two-minute film called julie uh selene and julie go boating that's <laughs> if you exclude everything but the boating from <laughs> the movie. Uh, yeah and um, uh, we have a special guest, the first of about, I think, three or four appearances uh, coming up. It's, uh, well, I might embarrass you a little bit um, from my favorite podcast <laughs> ever. And generally, uh, one of the reasons and that's inspirations behind me starting my own movie blog site and just like take and help me just like uh, understand and think about film a different way is uh sam deegan from daughter of darkness and um evil eye and diabolique and a whole bunch of other stuff hi and thank you that's it is a little embarrassing (laughs) yeah this episode Mm. i was very nervous about because like i haven't talked to like and like someone i look up to and like i see an inspiration (laughs) yet Mm. Well, I'm so happy that you guys had me on. Thank you. You're welcome. I hope you're enjoying the avion that you specially requested for the, uh, <laughs> uh, what's that called? when uh... A rider? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean your rider. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And Joel, you inspire me every day with, with your friendship. Well, I appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> because, uh, frankly, I'm not feeling very appreciated usually. No, I'm just kidding. That's all right, so this is Celine and Julie Go Boating. Uh, I put it on the list because um, it was described to me by, I think, maybe like Dave Eaves or Martin Kessler, one of those people, as like daisies, but it's three and a half hours long. And I thought, well, <laughs> I have to see that. And I get what they're talking about, but, uh, sure. but at the same time, it's like... That's not... What? Not accurate. Yeah, it's not accurate, <laughs> but like... I, I get where like that can come from, and so I kind of went went right. to a blind, yeah. not a blind. I'd seen two Rivet already, but uh, I had no idea what to expect. And I love every second of this movie. To me, it's all it's like damn near perfect. However, I don't I don't know if I can explain anything besides like I just love everything about this movie. I'm so happy to hear you say that. It's with Rivet. I never know, like, he's one of those directors where I've seen almost all of his films, they're all very long, but I I love him, but I feel like I can't really recommend him to people because it's impossible to know what someone's response is going to be, and it tends to either be, okay, I love this movie, or, oh my god, I'm so frustrated, why is this nine hours long? <laughs> Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. I really I've I really want been hovering around out one. <laughs> yeah, I want to do out one, but I don't know if you would want to watch a thirteen hour movie. No, I it's yeah, you just have to give me like six months advance notice for me to Yeah. <laughs> out one is 
an experience. There was a year where I decided that I didn't want to do my family Thanksgiving, so I watched all of Out One. It wasn't quite straight without a break, but it was within probably like 20 hours I watched the whole thing, and I felt high by the end. Uh, that's insane. Yeah, that's nice. I, I don't know if, I, if I'd be able to watch a 12-hour a 12 12-hour movie in, like in, in one day. Yeah, I don't know if I would recommend it. <laughs> All right, so uh, Joel, have you uh, prior to me telling you about uh, this movie, uh, had you even heard of Chakravet? Are you talking to me? Yeah. I said Joel. I hope you're not talking to the guest that way. <laughs> J Dog, is that better? <laughs> uh, yes, that's fine. Uh, yes, uh, actually, I uh, just recently watched uh, La Belle Nuit. I don't speak French. Yes, oh, I love that one you. too. Do you, they do like that? I know, I know you do because you were telling me about it, and uh, I think it is very—it's a fascinating piece of work. I would not recommend it to anyone who wasn't a film tour. What are you talking about? It's four hours of an, an artist and his model in the studio. It's it's no, that's not true. It's first of all, it's it's an hour and a half of nudity, and then yeah. it is. <laughs> The rest of it is uh, grumpy old man. No, well, that uh, grumpy that's, old a pretty, no, I, I, I that's a pretty good description, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that one, like, I just watched this year. So, mm-hmm. but I, I've known about Celine and Julie going boating in like an outside way. Nothing about the film, nothing about the actresses or even the director. Just like, there's some really interesting artwork out there about it and i was like oh this must be an interesting movie to inspire this artwork and it certainly is yeah you know if if i could say nothing else about the movie it's interesting but i mean i liked it so that makes it sound like i didn't like it i did yeah i was worried by your messages i got the feeling you maybe you didn't like it no no it's just uh i here's the thing i found the movie to be and it, this doesn't reflect whether it is good or bad. I found it very difficult to pay attention for a long time while watching it. Hmm. And it was often, you know, at first when you watch a narrative film, you know, assume you, here's the key word. I said narrative. Hmm. You assume you're watching a narrative film when you put on a movie, especially when you're walking into blind, yeah. which I did with that. And then eventually you... I have learned, because I've watched other movies that are like this, that you have to give up on trying to figure out what's going on, otherwise you'll go insane. And when that happened, I was like, okay, well, I can kind of watch this in pieces then. Uh, But uh, I think we should uh, do further conversations, but there is... I want to get into some of the things that made me... reminded me of this later. But So... It's. It wasn't. I wasn't not watching it because I didn't like it. I was just like really distracted. All right. I mean, I. I under. It's understandable. It's. It's just like it's a very dense three half hour movie. That's. Like you like you key in, you key into it immediately or you, or like it or it does not connect. Mm-hmm. Kind of like with the La Ventura movie that I do not like, but. Uh, some people really love and uh you know like i get it like not everything is for everyone right yeah 
All right, uh, Sam, what is your history with Rivette and like French New Wave and all that stuff? Um, it's hard to say when I first got into the New Wave, probably around college. I think I feel like for a lot of people, that's the time you hear, okay, here, here's this, you know, list of movies you have to see if you like film. And my introduction was definitely people like uh, Truffaut and Godard, who are a little more accessible. Rivette, I think, is tricky because he's not quite new wave. He's like sort of regarded as new wave sometimes, but is a little bit more left bank. And so I think he's not put on those lists as often. So it took me a little while to to get to some of his films. And Celine and Julie was definitely the first Rivette that I saw. And I, I think it's a great introduction to him. Um, it's, I, I think to your point, it, it's like his, his films are really difficult because they go against like mainstream cinematic convention. So it's hard to sort of sign yourself up for four hours of a movie that's only loosely narrative. And like now that I've seen probably 80% of his movies, to me, Celine and Julie has a super clear narrative. So yeah. it's always kind of funny to, to talk to people who are like, what is happening here? Just <laughs> because by now I've seen it so many times. And so I have this like context for it. But I do think that it's clearly it's like if you know more about him and his relationship with the Cahiers du Cinema uh, whole crew. I mean, to me, he, I don't know if either of you guys have read any of his criticism, but I think he's by far the most brilliant of the Cahiers du Cinema critics. And I mean, they're all pretty amazing, but. I feel like a lot of his films make more sense if you understand, like in a broader way, if you understand that they're made by a film critic who's trying to sort of test the limits of film convention. And I think that Celine and Julie is the one that does that maybe in the most kind of whimsical way. Hmm. Yeah. So like I, uh, the first that I saw was The Nun. I started it at midnight because uh, I thought, oh, this will be like an easy watch. And then an hour, I was like, oh, fuck, this was a mistake. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I get, like, this, the uh, vet breaking, like, what you assume a movie's supposed to be. And if you're used to, like, Truffaut, who played with, who played with, like, mainstream genre and Hitchcock and stuff like that. It's like, you go, and you jump to, like, Celine and Julie, and it's like, what the fuck is this? And, but I like, <laughs> but I like that factor of, like, he's just doing what he feels like doing, and. Uh, you know, it's like I, I like all the detours and just the strange choices that he's just willing to make. Yeah, it's if you think about, and I I do think a lot of you know film classes and more mainstream film critics talk about how Truffaut experiments with genre and like he does. It's not wrong, but then then you get to directors like. Rivet and Godard and Chris Marker and Elon Rene and it's just like it makes Truffaut look so normal in comparison. <laughs> Not yeah, like, that that's bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, different flavors. Like Truffaut feels like he just wants to be Hitchcock, or at least like the ones I've seen feel like he just wants to be Hitchcock, which is not a bad thing. 
No. He's. Uh, I mean, yeah, it would feel more like he's uh, doing his version. Not not even his version of a Hitchcock film. It's like he's taking his homage to what he thinks is the master is obvious, and then like this, the other ones that we're talking about for the most part seems like they were more interested in yeah in rattling what film was rather than um uh, trying to go back to something that they thought was missing currently yeah and like um i, I did some uh like research into Ravat and his history and uh i i knew he was a, a cache du cinema guy and he was a big fan of Howard Hawks and Nicholas Ray and John Ford and Robert Aldrich, but like uh, for some reason I found it surprising because like just his movies are so like theatrical and like you know like uh, I hate to use this word but like you know like I- I'm sure some people think his movies are, are like pretentious and like difficult to to sit through and like in this learning like he was like a big fan of like of like the big Hollywood guys is this kind of just like i like i haven't seen that much of uh of of uh of them but it's this kind of like i wonder like is there is there a lot of clear influence or or is like vet morris like he came from he's just playing from like a theater thing or? i mean i think with truffaut it's funny because if you compare truffaut godard and rivette they all are so heavily influenced by classic cinema, but I think you see the influences in really different ways. Mm. And I think Godard and Truffaut maybe are... Actually, no. I I feel like Truffaut handles influences the way a lot of other directors do, which, like, either, you know you said that it seems like he really likes Hitchcock and kind of wants to be a French version of Hitchcock. And I do think there is a lot of that in his films and the way that he shows his influence is often through like homage. Whereas with Rivette and also to a certain extent with Godard, there's this sort of cut up collage technique where you see certain glimpses of things that influenced him like in Celine and Julie one of the sort of famous obvious influences there's this scene where they dress up in all black and roller skate down the street <laughs> which which is great and is taken from uh Fantomas which is this really wonderful also super long French silent film crime serial by Fouillade and it's it's great but it's like he does these occasional nods rather than lifting tone or genre like there's also throughout a lot of his films there are references to Fritz Lang who's he was a huge fan of and you see it in Celine and Julie go boating kind of creep in with these different scenes where they either get paint or ink or blood on somebody's hand and that's a reference to m basically so it's Hmm. like he he puts in references that seem like they're just for him or kind of just for other you know super nerds rather than being the more accessible type of references that Truffaut does yeah uh and i i i i I watched celine julie a few weeks ago and then I rewatched about half of it today. Then I had stuff to do and didn't have time to finish up the other like 
two hours of it. But um, but like going through a second time, like it was like the beginning. I suddenly had like a revelation of like, oh, I like like because the first first time through, I was just like, what's happening? This is amazing, confusing. Second time through, I was like, okay, I think I have a better grasp on on, on like on opening and like what's hinting at. Uh, what 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 is it hinting at? Tell me. Um, uh, things like uh, when I have it in my notes as the one who looks like Shelley Duvall, Celine. Um, when she goes to the the what the hell are you talking in my about? notes? I put like <laughs> Celine, Shelley Duvall, and Julie Redhead to tell them apart initially. Oh, okay. That's I really funny. That I <laughs> I think I can see it now, but I never would have associated Juliette Berto with Shelley Duvall, but I guess they kind of have, like, in the 70s, especially, like, similar haircuts, maybe? Yeah. Dark dark hair, big eyes, I think, is yeah. is one of the things, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, uh... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna completely disagree with you, uh, Spencer, oh, okay. but, uh, you know, you better, you better watch that line you're telling. <laughs> well, Joel, you knew I was gonna bring up Shelley Duvall at some point. It's been, it's been a... Listeners, you have to listen to the previous, you know, whatever episodes. Like, it's a whole series of me going, Spencer. <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. Yeah, but, um. Okay. You know, also, I feel like, um, if this, like, if Altman did a, did a version of this, actually, Duvall would have been a Celine analog. But, uh,. Yeah, that's a side note. But uh, when Celine first goes to the magician club, and you in, you see her like sign up for like the uh, like the contract or whatever. Like I didn't realize. I thought that was just a random scene. I didn't think much of it the first time through. The second time through, like, oh, it's that guy who's gonna show up later in this um, in scene. Just how the the opening is. Uh, you see the uh, the one the one on the bench, and you see a cat. And it's like okay, it's like it's literally just like doing like the same thing, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like uh, so, like very noticeable things that really came through. And I started thinking of it more as like as like it's it's just like probably a, a game they play, uh, and and uh, maybe it's real, but I uh, but currently I'm thinking like it's more just like a game that they play, like uh, as friends, and they, where they just goof off and have like a crazy weird adventure for, uh, just for themselves. Yeah, that definitely, I think, is a big... That, that idea of playing games is a big theme that goes throughout it. Also, the use of magic, like the way that it starts off with Julie reading the magic book and performing what seems to be some kind of spell in that little town square. And I think you can notice certain like signifiers every time he's trying to reference that like the magic book and the tarot cards and the black cat that follows them and the way later on the candy kind of transports them to that different timeline of the house which did we give any kind of plot description should Um, we can you with this movie uh, sure. Yeah, I to- I totally can. I mean, you're also welcome to disagree, but to me, the movie is about these two women who meet randomly, and Julie fo- like notices this this woman Celine who is rushing past her dropping stuff. She follows Celine trying to give her stuff back, and they wind up living together in uh, Julie's apartment. And 
this basically sort of through a totally random series of events where you learn about their jobs and Celine is a magician, like a stage magician, and Julie works in a library. And Celine tells Julie about this strange house that she used to work in as a nanny. And something awful happened in the house. And Julie becomes curious and tries to figure out what it is. And you're sort of swept into what seems to be an alternate kind of looping timeline where these two women are fighting over this guy and their little girl gets in the way and the child winds up getting murdered. And Celine and Julie start to figure out that they can interject themselves into this timeline and change events and maybe save the little girl's life. And so it sort of becomes, uh, like you were saying, Spencer, it's sort of like sometimes it seems like they're playing a game or like they're watching a movie that they're able to interact with. It's, it is definitely very surreal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it has like a, a cyclical nature of it because like the ending is just like the, the white rabbit, Alice in Wonderland, only it's reversed of who's who. And it's like... And it's like, is this this uh, a never-ending game for them, uh, or is this is it a dream, or or all of the above? Yeah. See, I, yeah, I'd be based on what you just said, Sam. I'd be more willing to now think of this as like a kind of unstuck in time thing going on, uh, where they keep repeating the same actions, trying to change an outcome, but not fully conscious that they are repeating. You know, except for. Uh, when it comes to them finally, you know, whether they're ingesting a drug or a spell, to, uh, expanding to see that it's like, oh, we're actually viewing these things from the outside, and like, I don't know, but can we try to change them? Uh, you know, before they find some sort of talisman that allows them to exist in this, you know, ghost memory but not be themselves and you know they're hoping that was the key to rescuing the girl so at the end when we think that the the girl may have been rescued or they've just woken up and the girl was always there um but with when they finally get to the boating part the point the part i was promised by the title <laughs> uh everything resets again because something i it, you know my twin the twin peaks in me mm -hmm. and that's <laughs> that's the thing like david lynch must love this movie or oh yeah i think he's uh, a big rebet fan yeah hmm. like I, the twin peaks in me is like something went wrong not not that it's like a playful thing to reset but something went wrong and we're going to start again but it's going to be slightly different yeah and, and the obvious one maholland drive like two women mm -hmm. uh, oh. you know like the surreal but in their lives intertwining like it's yeah, it's it's like a, that's yeah. the obvious one. Very good. Which I don't know if Lynch has ever talked about it. Besides, like I know he's a big Maya Darren fan, and that and that's kind of all I've all I know for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where I read that, but I feel like in some interview he does talk about other people kind of loosely similar to Maya Darren like Chris Marker and like Rivette mm -hmm. but they're I think the way that Lynch plays with 
genre like film noir and things like that also really show up in Rivette, who of course did it first. And I think he was really influenced by those French crime serials that we were talking about a little while ago and just like Fritz Lang's crime films. And so a lot of his movies have these either main plots, for lack of a better word, because they're not all super narrative, but they often involve somebody trying to solve a mystery. And that's pretty much the premise of Celine and Julie go boating. It's it's like they're, they're friends and they're hanging out and having a good time kind of getting involved in each other's lives. But I think we're so used to mystery narratives feeling really kind of somber and serious that it's so unusual to see one where Hmm. people kind of don't care what happens and they're just having a good time, (laughs) which is definitely (laughs) the vibe here. Yeah, it feels like a choose-your-own-adventure if it was a movie. It does. But they they film, like, every possibility. But I don't mind it. Like, I love... Because, like, even you get a shot in the beginning um, of... um, uh, of julie in a mirror and it's like a fractured image of like uh, her image three of uh, her image three times which it could just be like a, a cool thing to see or it could be like hinting at like like just the different to different like realities that you're going to encounter along the way or maybe i'm thinking Definitely. too much I into like it. That. oh no no i i actually really like that uh interpretation of it as being like a choose your own adventure because i i think his other films don't quite have the same thing like merry-go-round which is one that i really like makes even less sense than selene and julie go boating and it is much darker in tone and it sort of starts off with these two people trying to find this missing girl and they get sucked into a mystery involving a house kind of similarly to selene and julie but it totally lacks that choose your own adventure quality and it's Hmm. much more frustrating like to watch as an audience member but also for the characters so i think the fact that celine and julie approach it as this kind of fun adventure that makes me understand why so many people compare it to daisies because daisies definitely has that same like we're on an adventure and nothing matters vibe but here it's it's like there are parts where they do seem to be genuinely either trying to improve each other's lives like i don't think we said but there are scenes where they sort of pretend to be each other like celine meets up with julie's old boyfriend and basically (laughs) kind of figures out that he's a creep and gets rid of him and julie goes to a job interview for celine and so it's like they are they do seem to care about things but the the universe is just so whimsical. Yeah, it feels like uh like a like Paris's movie feels like a labyrinth. Because uh, like yes. uh, like they they have the one safe space of their apartment, but then everything else just feels like this never ending journey. And like my my only issue with the movie is I wish there was like a, a, an hour more. I just want to see more of their silly games and like whatever they do uh when they're not like trying to save a little girl or whatever that i mean that's my issue with it in general would be that um <clears throat> it's le- it becomes less like daisies when we mm-hmm. get to the second half because it like the uh, 
I was saying that like it didn't hold my attention the entire time um, because I was chopping up into bits. But when we got to the part where we were in the narrative, uh, you, uh, like I couldn't help but get a little more sucked in because all of a sudden I was able to follow something, mm -hmm. and it, I, I'm sure that's completely purposeful. And uh, I, I'm just, I guess I'll be a basic bitch and go back <laughs> once again to Twin Peaks season three. Uh, in a non-spoilerly uh, spoiler part, uh, you can spoil Twin Peaks. It's one, fine. one of the characters towards the end. What's you can that? Spoil Twin Peaks. It's fine. I'm talking to the, for audience, man. I, 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 don't, I, care I don't about think you can stuff, spoil so. that the third season. Anyway, <laughs> a character at the end asks the audience, "Was this the story you wanted, or was it the story of the little girl down the lane, or?" something else and I, I see I'm not even quoting it correctly but basically in there we get some storyline conclusions and like I think most audience members probably felt super dissatisfied but the you know staring at you directly like well let's see what happens if we do have a normal narrative for a while like it just draws you in and I started to get super into it when suddenly they were able to break out and they were themselves within that you know the the haunted house chamber mm -hmm. that they were pretending to be in uh yeah i you know i if i hadn't just finished watching mm -hmm. it maybe i'd be able to do, you know explain my thought development a, a bit mm -hmm. easier but yeah. I'm, I'm still really processing and it's it's cool to have watched a movie that does that but yeah are are you guys getting the the thing that I'm saying about like? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely see the Twin Peaks season three connection for sure. And okay, thank you. <laughs> I think it has. It's it's interesting to see a similar concept handled so dramatically differently because I feel like it gives it a very different vibe when you have these two young women who are trying to solve this little girl's murder for lack of or trying to solve and prevent her murder versus something like Twin Peaks season three and I will also try very hard to avoid spoilers but I think the vibe at the end is is really downbeat because it takes on this sort of like who are you trying to save and what are you trying to do kind of it makes you ask a lot of questions about the overall show and the characters motivations and things like that and I feel like with Celine and Julie because they have those really great scenes where they are just able to hang out and be friends you get to really like them and I think that's one of the things that makes this much more engaging than a lot of other experimental film because you get really attached to the characters and I totally agree with both of you in, in different ways. Number one, I totally could handle another hour of this movie. And number <laughs> two, I really do wish we had more scenes of them just spending time together with no functional purpose because they seem to have such a great chemistry. And I think the thing that's really unusual about this film and Rivette in general as a director is he has so many films that have really prominent female characters and 
lots of female friendships. Like a lot of his films have scenes of women just kind of hanging out together and interacting. And often they serve some sort of plot function, but you don't really see that in a lot of French New Wave films. You don't see it in a lot of male-directed films, period. And Rivette just seems to have a real knack for it. And I think part of why it's so successful here is the the way that he was open to suggestion and the way that the film was so collaborative. So he worked a lot with Juliette Berto, who plays Celine, and you know, she's a director in her own right, um, worked with some of the other French New Wave directors, but she also helped with the script for Celine and Julie. Uh, as did Dominique Laborier, who plays Julie, and Bull Ogier, who is in many, many Rivette films and who is one of my favorite French actresses from this period, also worked on the script. And if you've seen the film, she plays the blonde woman in the, the haunted house, hmm. as, as did uh, Marie-France Pissier, who plays the brunette in the house. And, I mean... The three of them, Juliette Berto, Bull Ogier, and Marie France, were like a major force in somewhat in 60s, but especially in 70s and early 80s French cinema in the sort of new wave and left bank stuff. I mean, you see them everywhere. Like Marie France Pissier worked uh, later on with people like Andrzej Zhuavsky, but she also worked a lot with Rivette and Alain Rob Grier and so I think it's really interesting to see actresses have such an interactive role in in the storytelling. Yeah, uh, wasn't this um, as uh, uh, researching some background stuff and wasn't this research kind of like um, the way Mike Lee does his movies, where it's like this uh, the actors kind of like help figure out the script and story along with um, Rivette. Yeah, and I, I think that's what gives them, like, anytime a director does that, I feel like it gives it such a different flavor than directors who are a little bit more obsessed with being auteurs, people like Godard or Roman Polanski or Hitchcock, where they think of it as sort of their whole conception and their film. And I think when you have directors who are more collaborative and Claude Chabral was the same mm. way and he's not totally French New Wave, but, you know, affiliated enough. I think you just get such a different result, especially with the way the characters interact with each other. And it just, I think, sometimes feels more authentic, if that makes sense. Like the dialogue. It, it makes sense. Like, like uh, you because of the collaboration like you do a, you get a real sense of like these are real people uh that that you're watching instead of like 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 it's um like i don't, don't want to shit on godard even more than i usually do but like with godard the feeling of like this is my movie this is a reference to a movie that i like and there's it doesn't seem as organic and where like this just feels like it's just like people hanging out yes there are literally no people just hanging out in Godard movies and I I love him but he is a very different kind of filmmaker and you know I think there's room for both in the world but 
I do. I do kind of love. <laughs> we can agree no, to disagree, I, but no, it's fine. I, 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 I don't know. Get that I know a lot of people dislike him. He's a tough sell, but so yeah. is Rivette in a different way. Yeah, but like Rivette, immediately I was like, oh, this is for me. But like we we did the Breathless one already, and I barely talk in that one because I have not much to say about Breathless. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I haven't given up on the you know, because I didn't. I, I also wasn't over the moon about. But Breathless. I've seen like five others and every time it's like I just don't get it except for uh, my life to live that's the one I'm like mm. that I love and the rest of it's kind of like I just don't get yeah he really is difficult to introduce people to I just tried to <laughs> my, so my partner feels the same way that you both do and I just tried to introduce him to weekend <laughs> and mm. it did not go well <laughs> No, that, so, that, that, to yeah, each his own. We're going to cover a weekend at some point. And uh, I hear that, that that might change my mind, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, I don't know if it will. I mean, I think... So earlier you mentioned uh, Altman. And I think mm-hmm. Altman kind of, not always, but sometimes does this similar thing to Rivette where he just lets the characters sit and develop and spend time with each other and i think if you like that sort of filmmaking rivette will be much more accessible to you because he does so much of that like much like robert altman i think is sometimes tricky for people because they're like why is nothing happening here but with godard it's it's like even when you have people like anna karina who or you know, Jean-Paul Belmondo, who are so charismatic, even when you have them in Godard movies, the dialogue is often so stagey that you you really have to like that sort of thing, I think. But I, I would say Weekend is probably not going to win you over. It, it might, mm. I don't know. But if you haven't seen Contempt, that's usually a pretty good place to start. That one is coming up. I love Contempt. Yeah, uh... Yeah, my life to live. I think it is the one I like the most because the person who told me about it, um, uh, troll your friend Randall, who wants to come on and well, he told me he wants to cover a Godard movie, <laughs> so I have to find one that uh, he wants to jump in. But um, uh, he said it's like a Mizoguchi movie, and then watching it's like okay, it is kind of like a Mizoguchi movie, and I think that's why I connected to that one. Yeah, I think that one is definitely one of the most accessible. That and two or three things I know about her are sort of better starting places. Maybe I with with a lot of these French New Wave directors, it really is hard to tell what people are going to like and what they're going to want to set on fire. But I do yeah. think Godard is, <laughs> is you know, often hated. <laughs> and I get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the ones... Well, like I've said before, but my favorite French New Wave director is Rivette. Like he's the one that like the movies stay with me the longest, and I and I I constantly think about them. Like I watched The Nun maybe six months ago, and I still think about just like this like this many scenes and just like the the mood of that movie. And like uh and like uh, Chabrol is another one I love. And uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. And has nine million movies, so you will never run out of Chabrol to watch. <laughs> yeah, is, is it Chabrol or Chabrol? I'm not really sure. It's Chabrol. Chabrol. Okay, I'm learning French uh, on Duolingo, but I'm still not sure when I say the last letter and when I don't say it. 
Uh, yeah, that's difficult. Usually with like with an L, you would say it. Uh, mm. But it's one of those things where I think you just have to watch a lot of things with you know, like French news interviews and things like that. And once words start to sound familiar, then it becomes clear because there aren't always hard and fast rules, which is a really frustrating thing. Uh, but have you seen Paris Belongs to Us, which is Rivette's like first feature? Uh, no, but you will be returning for that one whenever that one comes up. Yes, I would love to talk about that because I think... It has so many more of those uh, crime, like silent crime serial vibes, but in such a different way than Celine and Julie. And yeah, The Nun is one of those that almost doesn't feel like a Rivette film, but it does. What like it? It's so different, and I, I love that about him. That you don't just, even though they're all long and sometimes difficult, it's not just the same sort of film over and over. Yeah, and uh, if you're listening to this, don't watch The Nun at midnight because it will kind of ruin your your night. Yeah, it's it's not cheerful. I will I will say that about it. Yeah, actually, no. I haven't seen any of the Insidious movies, so I can't. You know, I feel, okay. I feel like I have to start from the first. <laughs> uh, I think that's the Conjuring universe. Oh, Conjuring! I see. I don't even know. I don't it's know a, either. It's the same thing. And which one of them has Freddy Krueger? Uh, He's in all of them, right? <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. yes. He makes a cameo in all of them. <laughs> it's not a horror movie. It doesn't have Freddy Krueger in it. Yeah, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, I had... Oh, you mentioned um, Altman. And uh, some of the Altman stuff, like... Uh, there were a couple things that directly remind me of Altman. Uh, the introduction of... Uh, Celine uh, feels like when you first see Shelley Duvall in Nashville, like she's dressed like very stylish and crazy and really sticks out. And so immediately you're like, who is that? So, uh, uh, yeah. That, uh, and there's like another alt, like direct Altman thing that I can't remember. I feel like there are some three women vibes. And three women sure. is yeah. not is tonally so different like it's way way darker but i think if you watch them back to back which would be your entire day because they're both they're both very long <laughs> films but they both have all these scenes of women just kind of hanging out together and they dip into this weird surreal fantasy territory where you're not sure if it's a dream or if something's really happening so i i do think he sometimes has also images for sure yeah and uh so joel were you happy when they finally go boating because uh your letterbox review was two two half hours in when are they going boating which i remember <laughs> in my notes I, I i clocked it like it was two hours like 40 minutes like i thought it was called they go boating when are they doing that you know it's a i assumed at the two i mean the joke is that by at two and a half hours i was like this must be a metaphorical boat <laughs> although i don't understand necessarily what the meaning is oh it is but yeah it, it's it's a pun so mm -hmm. um which it's so 
it's a literal translation which makes it a little bit difficult like it doesn't quite convey because we don't have the same phrase but to go boating it means to get like really caught up in a story especially mm. like a t it, it basically it means to get caught up in a tall tale it is nice. what hmm. the phrase means in french so like the fact that they actually go boating at the end is <laughs> very funny <laughs> because you know it's it's they get caught up in this story that may or may not be real and so that's sort of what the title means oh okay okay uh, well america you had uh let's see what is it like almost 50 years to make this go boating mean that here and you you failed miserably thanks a lot we should, now i look like the dumb one we should just start saying it oh yeah we are now yeah, yeah. definitely and uh next time someone next time i get one of those shaggy dog tails i'm, I'm going boating exactly yeah. see <laughs> yeah and usually with with most episodes i look up the french title and translate it to see if there's like a big difference and usually there's a big difference and yeah uh, which is frustrating yeah, like uh, I think the the one movie that made me realize that was Daughters of Darkness, because I, oh, I saw red I saw lips. the yeah I saw the <laughs> French house like that does not say Daughters or Darkness. I knew enough French to know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is one of the things I find the most frustrating about European film, actually maybe just foreign films in general being translated for an american market is and this seems to happen way more with american releases than it does with british releases where for some reason the studios decide okay we're gonna distribute this film over here but you know what it needs a zingier title so we're just we're not gonna translate it directly we're just gonna change the whole fucking thing and it's like why 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 do you have to do that like mario bava is I think is the strongest example of the studio saying like, yeah, okay, we're going to distribute all these because they're great, but we're going to change the title and the score and we're going to re-edit them. And it's like, why? <laughs> yeah. You get uh, Lisa and Devil and the, oh, what's the other Oh title? God. House the, the, of Exorcism. <laughs> yeah. The shitty recut. <laughs> I watched yes, it once no. and, and uh, never again. No, never. I was. I'm still traumatized by the one time I watched it like twelve years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather just watch. Like, Lisa and Devil is perfectly fine the way it was. I didn't need to change it. But, to uh, become a fake exorcism Godzilla. movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, what was it? I was going to say something. Hold on, hold on. What, what was it? Was it? Uh, never mind. Sorry, no. I went on a rant there. <laughs> no, no, I no, appreciate yeah. rants. Don't. Um, uh, one, uh, one thing that really stuck out that I feel like, uh, was like maybe rep, rep playing with the audience was, uh, you see, uh, Celine wearing a lot of blue and Julie wearing a lot of red in the beginning, but then maybe like halfway through that kind of goes away. So I feel like it's just like a plant, uh, like a plant thing. It'd be like, uh, the trick you know, into like bullshit symbolism. Or maybe, again, I'm thinking too much into it. I think that they were trying to show you which one was player one and which one was player two. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're totally wrong. I feel like when it starts off, he's trying to sort of show that they have these very distinct identities. 
and part of their their wardrobe is part of that and then once they move in together and they become friends their identities kind of blur and so I do think the fact that the red and the blue goes away is intentional and I don't think mm. you're reading too much into it but reading too much into things is my single favorite activity <laughs> in the world so so maybe we both are yeah maybe. yeah and i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with that right as long as you don't make yourself crazy by going you know trying to find things that don't fit and, and squeeze them together oh yeah that's <laughs> that's like that uh like that shining documentary <laughs> that's what i was just <laughs> oh thinking. god and that's obviously <laughs> A minotaur. <laughs> yeah, this is obviously a film about the Holocaust. Like, what? <laughs> what? What version of The Shining did you watch? Uh, at least the the guy saying the thing about the moonlighting is is right that that sweater is a little weird. But that's you know, it's not him being like, huh? It's probably him being like, hey, you jerks. I think you think of no oh, wait, <laughs> moonlighting hadn't happened yet. Oh my god, it's all coming together. <laughs> yeah, uh, what was it? But. Uh... Yeah, uh, uh, I don't have much else to say about this movie besides like, I, uh, I, I watched it like a few weeks ago, but but uh, I still, it's still fresh in my mind. Like it's pretty unforgettable, and this like the, the like the final image of a cat looking like dead center in the camera was just like, w- wait, this is the end, <laughs> and it's like it's such like a, <laughs> it's a weirdly powerful ending to me. I don't know why. Like, I found it, like, kind of startling just of a cat, like, just staring you dead in the eye, and then cut the credits. Mm-hmm. And now that, now that you actually know that look firsthand <laughs> yeah. with your cat, mm-hmm. I think that it probably has a different feeling than it would have had before. <laughs> because as a cat, you know, owner for most of my life, I can tell you that look that cat was giving mm-hmm. was definitely a, what the hell do you want look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it the look is very, like what did you want an ending <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah the little girl down the lane just left bye <laughs> yeah. oh i remember i was gonna say earlier um the uh when they go to the house and they can like exist in the house uh, as themselves with the ghoulish makeup it it looks like the type of ghoulish makeup that kurosawa would do later on in um uh ron ran whatever you call it and kagamusha mm. Yeah, I yeah. love that makeup. It reminds me a lot of some of the French horror kind of coming out at that time that was a little bit more surreal, and I am I have to guess that was intentional. I also love that the people in the house... Um, earlier, I you know was talking about how the blonde woman is Bull Ogier, mm-hmm. and the, the man that's sort of caught in the weird threesome with them is barbe schroeder who is her husband who's hmm. uh a pretty like prominent french director in his own right and so <laughs> i have to assume that you know like i said she she did work with rivette a lot but i'm kind of wondering how they conned barbe schroeder into <laughs> into being in the haunted house scenes but it's great yeah and uh it gave that the whole haunted house thing, and I am sure a hundred percent sure somebody has already done this and inspired by this. In fact, I it made me think of uh, uh, uh the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. Oh, oh the yeah, yeah. Synecdoche, New uh, York. 
Yeah, Charlie Cohen. Yeah, where he, you know, basically has a facility that's like redoing parts of his life over and over again, and then actor within actor, you know, scenes. And I was thinking, uh, especially based on when the girls like take control of their own personalities and start messing with it, like how interesting it would be to have a a room where you have set up a set with you know sectioned off to areas to indicate different parts of the house, but. Uh, Every day you have actors go on and they do the same parts over and over again. But after only one performance a day, and after that performance, people are free to go in there and move props. They're free to move other parts, you know, for, you know, furniture from one room to the other. And then the next day, you know, uh, assuming nobody's destroyed anything, which, yeah, uh, but uh, the actors would have to go in and try to do the parts with the room. But everyone has the same starting space so if somebody were to like drag a bed to a different room the actor wouldn't be in the room when the actor uh the one that was like talking to him would be there so their parts would be going on in different rooms anyways this is this is a drug adult thing that like i was like ooh, art that's a cool idea oh see now now you're thinking like a real honest jacques rivette fan because oh no he <laughs> yeah now you can't escape it you're sucked in he he does stuff sort of like that in a lot of his films like uh one that he made before this called La Morfou uh which has Bull Ogier in in a big role um it's basically about this married couple the husband is a director the wife is an actress and the movie cuts back and forth between their home life where their marriage is disintegrating and this production that they're putting on. And in the production, he does all this crazy, like in the film scenes of the production, he does all this crazy stuff where he has people talking in voiceovers and trying out different line delivery and actors swapping in for other actors. And it parallels a lot of what's going on in their personal lives. Uh, and the same sort of thing happens in one of his later films that I really, really love called Gang of Four, which is about this house where all of these female roommates live and they're all also actresses who are kind of training together for this upcoming stage production but they get like sucked into this crazy mystery and and so i think that was also something he thought was really interesting like how you can incorporate theater into film and definitely that's like most of what out one is about so i feel like maybe you just need to watch some more revet <laughs> It's, it sounds like I have to anyways, yeah. yeah. I like the, the whole... I, it's destiny at this point. It, yeah, I think so. And there's the whole thing of, like, performance and, like, uh, like the... Because uh, when, when they get to the ghost house sequence, that's their even part where, like, you hear an audience clapping to their performance and they're, like, trying to run their lines and, uh, like, I, 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 I'm not a theater person. I don't know, but I, I was never a theater kid, but that stuff is, like... I find endlessly fascinating, but I don't know how to like elaborate on it more than that. Sure. I mean, that's one of the things that I find so interesting about him as a director is he always seems to think about the way that performance and rehearsal 
can shape a film and can change the narrative. And I think that's why he was always so interested in collaborating with his actors. And most of the actors he worked with regularly were people who also worked in experimental theater at the time. And they were people who were, you know, really political. And so there's so much overlap that he manages to capture in a way that I don't think the other new wave directors captured as clearly if if that makes sense uh it does like i guess what i mean is it's a bigger part of his identity as, as a filmmaker is including that kind of thing whereas with the other directors like it certainly was a part of their development and they were peripherally involved in that experimental theater world you just don't always see it come out in their work as clearly as you do in Rivette. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, uh, one stupid thing that relates to the Evil Eye podcast was the the taxi that magically shows up and just like drives them every time. Reminds <laughs> Who's me driving that taxi. <laughs> yeah, like like the van and goth. Like, uh, is there a driver? Is it magic? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> they give money to somebody at one point, but I wasn't really paying attention. No. Well, Joel, you need to. It is nice of that that cab to be there. Yeah, you need it to is. see the movie Goth. It's on Prime currently. It's uh, quite the experience. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that a bunch of people watched because of our podcast, and pretty much all of them are mad at me. <laughs> so I don't watch <laughs> it at your own risk. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good. Scene. I enjoyed it. It's stupid shit. I but mean, it's, a, it's my type of stupid <laughs> yes. shit. Yeah, if you like shot on video horror that doesn't make any sense it is for you <laughs> all right yeah and uh wrapping up i was gonna ask is this movie goth does it follow the three rules <laughs> I, I mean Celine and julie transcends all rules so i think it's goth because they do magic they read tarot cards there's a black cat there's a haunted house i think it qualifies all right and uh yeah so uh this will come out in february so a couple of weeks from now but uh uh yeah this is available easily available there's a uh criterion uh blu-ray coming out uh in march i think i can't remember i think it's the same i think it's so. the same yeah. same yeah. one as um mondavi which i pre-ordered mondavi because i make a point to get every african mm-hmm. film uh, they put out uh, yeah, there's already some exciting stuff that's coming out. Yeah, they have five, no, four African films now out of like a thousand movies, so they're getting better. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> and since, since Space is a Place is currently on there, I'm hoping that we'll get a Criterion. I, oh, I would be I over the so. moon if we got a Criterion with like commentaries and music and all. Oh. Yeah, I would freak out if, if they put that out. I really hope they do. Yeah. They have all the Simbin stuff, so like they could do a couple more Simbin movies, but who knows? It's easily available, and if you haven't uh, gotten to Rivet, start here, and then definitely. Yeah, and if the if if you're like fuck this shit, don't don't go any further. Like it doesn't really. I I only seen three, but it really doesn't get any like uh more streamlined or or easy to to digest. I mean, it sort of does, actually. So one of the things that I love so much about him is 
unlike a lot of the other new wave directors, he just kept going and going and going up until the late 2000s. And some of his movies from the the 90s and kind of like later in the 80s are a little bit easier to follow. I mean, like he did this adaptation of Wuthering Heights that I really love and it's still Rivette, but you can follow the story more. So so I think some of those later ones, like the story of Marie and Julian uh, and Duchess of Langia, which is like a, it's sort of like a historical drama-ish. It's like sometimes he decides he wants to tell a more coherent story most yeah. of the time he doesn't though <laughs> yeah drone of arc one i, I really want to uh, see but i have trouble having trouble tracking it down which is yeah, a problem I think there with might some just... oh. oh yeah i think some of them are just available either as bootlegs or on french dvd they're out there you just kind of have to dig and hopefully at some point companies like criterion or kino will release more of those later films yeah i really want to see a six hour joan of arc movie don't we all <laughs> like after after the the label uh french word uh like i'm like i just want to yeah uh a beautiful troublemaker like i just want to see like every like super long movie he made because like I, I I am sold. This is like like I I find like the movies like Celine Julie and Labelle is to be so like hypnotizing. Like like once I once I get into the rhythm of it, it's like I don't feel like I never know the runtime. But once I get into the rhythm of it, it's just like once it ends, like it's over. I wanted I wanted like two hours more of this. <laughs> he would be very happy to hear you say that. Yeah, and Joel, do you feel the same? Yeah, I think I think you would enjoy a six-hour movie about Joan of Arc. Is that is that what you meant? No. <laughs> <laughs> did you mind the runtime of it? Uh, like, did did that? Because you liked it a little less than me. I didn't think any part of it was boring okay. or anything like that. But like I said, uh, we, we, if you've got like major attention deficit disorder, which I have, I, I mean, I've got normal attention deficit disorder, but for some reason, it's been especially bad this last week then you'll probably have to do what i did which is chop it in a part which is okay because the movie does like literally chop some things that goes at but the next day and you know that that might be a perfect breaking point but it does uh you know based on what you guys are saying it like it's definitely going to reward rewatching for me and going all the way through if you're paying attention, you'll probably pick up on even more of the like, oh, this is not a coincidence. Oh, this, this, you know, the things that in the beginning that seem innocuous that follow all the way through to the end. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And this came out in 1974. That was a pretty great year for movies. And uh, we'll have the guest go first with uh, her recommendations for 1974 movies. So this is tricky because there are so many good movies that came out that year and i know i mentioned a couple that i wanted to talk about before we started recording and i forgot one of the most important ones uh which is the last uh lone wolf and cub movie which is lone wolf and cub white heaven and hell which is one of my favorite movies ever and 
you probably shouldn't start there if you haven't seen any of the Lone Wolf and Cub series, but it is a spectacular conclusion that unlike a lot of other series, it just sort of ends and doesn't indicate that like, okay, this is the last movie. It's just sort of like they just stopped <laughs> making them. Um, and then my other recommendations would be Liliana Cavani's The Night Porter, which I'm sure probably anyone bothering to listen to a podcast episode about Rivette has at least heard of it, but it's this art house movie about a concentration camp guard and former prisoner who had a rather unconventional relationship and they meet each other again 20 years later and resume their relationship. It's really intense and couldn't be more different than Lone Wolf and Cub, White Heaven and Hell if it tried. Uh, the other one that I wanted to also mention was Phantom of the Paradise, which is another one of my favorite movies of all time. And I can't imagine anyone listening to this who hasn't seen it, but it's basically Brian De Palma's insane drug-fueled version of Phantom of the Opera-ish. Yeah, I watched it with my dad once. He uh, did not care for it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just needs to watch it again. <laughs> don't don't refer to me as your father. <laughs> no, no, my dad like loves like most movies, but like that's one of the few movies I watch with him where he's like, eh, it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, that makes me sad. Yeah, well, his uh, one of his favorite movies is Going South, the Jack Nicholson movie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, he has weird taste, but I think. It, Everyone has weird taste, probably. <laughs> yeah, weird taste is good. Uh, was that all of it? Yeah, I mean, otherwise we'll be here for two hours, because okay. if I don't cut myself off at three, I'll just keep going. Alright, that's, that's a good thing. I, I'm still at, like, seven. I have to pick, like, the three best ones. Alright, Joel, you go. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which ones. Okay, we must have talked about 7-4 at some point, because I feel like I've mentioned all of these movies... Mm -hmm. Uh, like Le Combe Lucien, which is uh, a, a uh, World War Two movie about a boy who you you see slowly turn from. Um, well, I mean, he's he's a bit of a troublemaker, and he comes. He's a bully, and he gets convinced to. Uh, I don't want to explain. It. It's a depressing movie. Right. It's a Louis Malle movie. It's really beautiful, it's probably, though. Yeah, no, we, we, it's probably we might we might cover that with the Liam All episodes. Oh, okay. Because like Crib uh, said, he wants to do like one half French, mm -hmm. uh, one half American Liam All episodes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't even like I'm saying I don't know what else I've already talked about, but one of my favorite movies of all time that I would never recommend to anyone because I I have no idea how to explain it or other than like this meditation on loneliness that is incredibly pure but also not a movie is Je to Il L by Chantel Ackerman oh it's so depressing <laughs> it's depressing but it is uh, the way you were talking about uh, Spencer talking about Celine and Julie like I couldn't tear my eyes off of this and it's a movie that 
is mostly mostly actionless. Uh, there are a bunch of scenes that are completely dialogueless. Uh, the thing I always talk to people about, like, I don't know if you're going to want to watch this movie because there is a scene where a woman just eats sugar with a spoon for a very long time. And it's like, like, why would you want to watch a movie like that, Joel? Like, because it's so encompasses like this, this pure emotion. Like if you, if you could pull the loneliness and, you know, fill up a bottle, you'd, you'd have to have a tanker truck. Uh, I, f- I feel like, <laughs> Jutu Il El is one of those movies that might have a very different resonance for people now that we've been through quarantine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah. Maybe this is the time to watch I Get think it, it is. Yeah. It definitely is. Fine, Joel. Yeah. We'll do a Chantal Ackerman episode. That's how to fit in the schedule. Yeah, we, ha- we had to do that anyways. Yeah. Right? She's amazing. Yeah, I, She's I have, incredible. I do have one planned. I guess, I guess do you want to cover that one? Um, it's up to you. Okay, yeah. I haven't seen it. I mean, I'd, I'd love to. She's a, I haven't watched it with my partner Sarah oh. yet, and I, I'm pretty sure she will totally dig it. Okay, well, it, yeah, that's a big blind spot for me, so we probably should do at least one. Okay, right. Uh, so I recommend that to people uh, that are listening to this because I assume you're interested in these kinds of movies, anyways. But if you don't like it. I don't want to fucking hear about it, so just watch it and uh, keep it to yourself. If you do like it, I'm I'm here for you. Let's talk about it. All right, that's it for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Space of the Places came out this year, and but we already mentioned that, and yeah. we've mentioned it on a different podcast too. Yeah, and uh, okay, so uh, okay, this is tough to boil down. Okay, so first off, Zardoz. I, I unironically love Zardoz and John Borman in general. Uh, Borman just like in the seventies was wild and a swinging for defenses, and uh, I just love that aspect of his of his movies, even if they don't fully work. Like like there's something that's so ballsy about his his like his insane choices that I can't help He's but incredible. like that yeah I can't help but love like I love Exorcist too. I love um, Excalibur and uh, the Emerald no, Green, uh, Green Drunk, Emerald like, Forest. That, or, yeah, Emerald Forest. I think it's called. Yeah, that one. Or so Emerald like, Jungle. I can't remember. The one with Powers Booth and um, Super Hottie. I think it's Meg Emerald Foster. Forest. I think you mean Super Hottie Powers Booth. <laughs> well, uh, Meg Foster has those has those demon eyes that are like are scary and sexy. She does. Speaking of Twin Peaks season three. Oh yeah, she is in that. Just very, very briefly, oh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that scene. But uh yeah, Zardoz, it's hard to explain. Just watch it. You'll know quickly if you're on board with like with the insane trip it's gonna be. But uh, I don't think it's like so bad it's good. I think it's just such a weird piece of mo- like a weird piece of cinema that somehow was allowed to be made. And I love that it was allowed to be made. And I love to the point I have a, a Japanese matchbox of Zardoz of the title in Japanese. So like, uh, and the, uh, yeah, uh, maybe a double feature with the, the night Porter. And if you don't develop a sexual whoa. psychosis, then, uh, or I mean, Charlotte Rampling probably... is in both of them. So that, Oh yeah, that's true. Too. That would, that, that actually does have a running theme. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What, I mean, what a year for Charlotte Rampling. Can you imagine <laughs> being in both of those movies back to back? I am looking at, 
things in 1974 that I haven't seen, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if this is like one of the best film years at this moment. Yeah, I think 74, 75, and 76 are all just like um, incredible. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, next one is Score, the Radley Metzger film. Um, it's a a softcore film uh, in the golden age, where like you know uh, when they had actual like production value before a video kind of came in and changed things. But Score is genuinely a really good movie, and like there there are some jokes in it that I still think about uh, that like that <laughs> made me really laugh out loud when I first saw them. And like uh, yeah, Score was my first Metzger movie. I've seen the opening of uh, Beethoven? No, I haven't seen any of his hardcore stuff. The one... No, I, I've seen Barbara Broadcast. Never mind. Uh, yeah, I was gonna I, I was gonna say, I feel like he has mostly hardcore, but he's got a couple... Oh, I think I know what you're talking the about. The Quartet? Um, quintet? What is it called? Licorice Quartet? Yes, that one. I've seen that. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I really like Radley Metzger. I I've been meaning to do a deep dive on his stuff. Yeah, but, he's uh, amazing. And like, if you want to like try to get into like the like the like the golden age softcore hardcore stuff, start with Metzger, and see if you like it. And if you don't, then you know maybe don't watch anymore. But Metzger, I think, is a good starting point. And um, the last one. Um, School of the Holy Beast. I, it's Nor- Norifumi Suzuki, who was a great director of kind of everything, and uh, it's a, a super sleazy, like non-exploitation movie. And uh, it's this, it's Nor- it's a it's a Suzuki movie, so like it's gonna have great production, have a great flow. It's gonna have like this a uh, lot of insane shit going on in it, and. Uh, and uh, um, I, I wrote about him from my site, Jailhouse 701, uh, Cult Cinema, in the Reiko Ika article. And yeah, he was kind of a creep, but that doesn't mean he wasn't didn't make good movies. So um. Yeah, that movie is so so gorgeous. Yeah, I just love pretty much anything he made in, in this time. But uh, yeah, he is this. I just kind of will give anything he made a, sh- a shot. But uh, yeah, School of Holy Beasts. I might talk about that on uh, Movies from Hell. Uh, they're doing a non-flotation series. And I basically told them, well, you're going to have me on for School of Holy Beast," And so Bradley uh, better have me on for that. So my girlfriend gave me a weird look. Uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> that's my three. And, uh, and Swept Away came out this year. But I think we're going to cover Swept Away in our in our Lena Vert Mueller episode, but I'm not sure. I haven't talked to a guest which movie yet. But I feel like he's gonna pick swept away. Yeah, that's great. I love Madonna. No. <laughs> the original that's, uh... one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's it. Um Sam, uh do you have any D V commentaries or shit like that coming out that you can talk about? Um, let me think. Uh, so, yes, uh, it's, I always really struggle to remember what hasn't been announced and what hasn't, (laughs) so I try to be a little bit careful about this, but something that is, has been announced and that's coming out soon is 
Queens of Evil for Mondo Macabro. Uh, it's this really amazing Euro cult movie that kind of like Celine and Julie has these weird, creepy kind of fantasy vibe. And it's one that is still pretty obscure. So I'm really happy that it's getting restored and coming out on Blu-ray. Um, and on a totally different note, I think my next commentary for Kino is my favorite blonde, which is this Bob Hope World War II era comedy where he, he basically gets sucked into this spy mystery and is trying to escape from Nazis. And it's one of my favorite Bob Hope movies. So those are two wildly different commentaries that, that I've done. All right. And uh, I should say... I've gotten a couple Blu-rays worth. I didn't know you did a commentary, and then I put it DVD in, uh, and I'm like, oh, there's the same commentary on here. <laughs> didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah, I have definitely gotten that, especially from some of my friends who are like, wait, why are you on this disc? Like, <laughs> some of my friends who don't necessarily know much about my career, they're like, why is your name on this movie I bought? <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It happened with uh, the Chabrera movie um, line of... Uh, oh, Demarcation. Yeah, that. And it's like, oh, it's another Chabrera movie. Like, one. Yeah. Uh, I haven't watched that one yet. I've only watched Th Third Lover and Le uh, Le 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 Surge, But eventually yeah, I will get to incredible. it. Yeah, he's incredible. But, uh, yeah, and so uh, any... And um, you you are on uh, the Evil Eye podcast with Robert, um, Sl a Slavic name. Yes, Kavarla. <laughs> it's impossible to pronounce. <laughs> There's a C C V K or some shit in that. And uh, and Dark Darkness, which is my favorite podcast ever. Um, Thank it's a, you. It's a, you're welcome. It's a shame that YouTube uh, took down one episode. But it's on Vimeo. Yeah, we we have occasionally people who report us, and we're not sure if it's that they just don't like us personally or they find us offensive, which either one of those things is totally possible. So since we started doing video episodes, if you get reported to YouTube, they take you down for a little while. So we had to move... Uh, I think it was our pieces episode. We had to move over to Vimeo, which mm. is really annoying. But you can still yeah. find it through the Diabolique website. Yeah, and uh, I gotta say, I love the, the New York Ripper episode. I love New York Ripper. That movie is so depraved and fucked up in all the best ways. And uh, Joel, we will talk about that when we talk about Fulci with Stephanie Crawford. And I know you will uh, you will hate that movie. <laughs> Why? I it's. It's, does it have a children's choir in it? No, but it's it does not. <laughs> okay. I have a feeling you're not going to like it. All right. I'm holding out hope that you will. I, I, well, I, be I believe. And for a record, <laughs> Stephanie picked it, not me. Okay. Well, that's, at least you know who I should be angry yeah, at. Yeah, blame Stephanie when we get to that one. Stephanie has good taste. She'll steer you right. Yeah. yeah. Uh that won't be for a couple months from now, but uh, looking forward to doing that one. But uh, anyway, Joel, uh, this is comes out February. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Anything with you? Oh, well, presumably we'll be figuring out what's going to happen with the vampire, the Dead Travel Fast podcast. But since that third episode dropped, uh, the I mean, at that point it'll be a, when this yeah. comes out like a month ago. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, hopefully it'll start not being so few and far between because we're kind of changing it. Instead of having like the loose format we had on the first three episodes, we're, we are going to be doing. Uh, these deep dives into the vampire movies we discuss uh, along with the chapter by chapter of the book that we're discussing at the time so you know chapter four five and six of of bram stoker's dracula coming soon in three different episodes and then we haven't quite decided what three movies we're going to do because of change of schedule things but so that's that's that Otherwise, I you know I don't know when we're doing that uh, grind bin episode, but uh, oh yeah, we got re- uh, to remind Mike. Bloody pit of horror. Yeah, uh, I can't stop thinking about it. I, I, I'll I'll <laughs> message Mike about doing that. Okay. Or you can. Well, I'm yeah. No, you know I don't talk to people. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I've humans. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But and uh, oh, uh, also rest in peace, uh, MF Doom. Uh, as of this recording, it's been like uh, uh, almost two weeks. Was this one of the best rappers, period, in the history of hip hop? And uh, world's a lesser place without him. So, uh, Sam, thanks for coming on, and you will come back for something uh, next, but I don't know what it will be next. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm always excited to talk about French cinema. Yeah, I think I might be. The other event, no, no, it is. It's um the Hiroshima Monomor. That's the next one. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, we can discuss the scheduling that one uh, later. But uh, oh, I can't wait for a romance like that. <laughs> I know that's another one with a really straightforward, easy to follow plot. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, and it stars uh, the the uh, wife from Amor from last season. Oh yeah, okay. And we're gonna run. So she's an actress. Uh, I thought that was a documentary. No. And uh, yeah, so this comes out in between Breathless, Yay, and La Ventura. Two movies I sure love, and you can tell when you hear the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, look out for that, and uh, uh, stay safe, be smart, don't do dumb shit. The show can be found on Twitter at PianoPlayerPod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art sarahkathleenroberts.com, and thank you for listening. A rhyming cannibal who's dressed to kill and cynical Whether is it animal, vegetable, or mineral It's a miracle how he gets so lyrical And proceeds to move the crowd like an old Negro spiritual For a mill, do a commercial for Mellow Yellow Tell him devil's hell no, say I'll own Jello We hollered krills, she swallowed pills He followed flea, collared three dollar bills And squilled for Halalville, it y'all appeal Dig the real, it's how the big ballers deal Twirl a L after every meal What up?